All right, welcome to the second episode of the Raven Conversations podcast. I am your host, Jason Kreis. And I am Joe Mandel. We are public affairs gurus at the Public Affairs Office, and we're here to bring you another exciting episode. Um, let's start with a couple of events that are coming up. Uh, the annual Trunk or Treat is coming up this month on Saturday the 27th from 2 to 4 in the afternoon. Um, trunk or Treat is a safe and friendly alternative for trick-or-treating. Folks convene at Camp Murray, decorate the trunks of their cars, and let their children go from car to car collecting candy. Yum. Bring your friends and family. There's also a Trunk or Treat event that's happening on the same day up at the Marysville AFRC. What is that? Armed Forces Reserve Center? Yes. Okay. Yes. From uh, 5 to 7 on the same day. The 27th. So if you want to host a trunk or do you want more information, contact Robin Seeberger at the JSS. Our number is 253-512-7985. Also, registration is now open. Oh, you got it. Sorry. And full-size candy bars are always appreciated. <laughs> of course. Uh, also, registration is now open for the this year's turkey drop on the 15th and 16th of November. If you know of a National Guard family that is in need this year and that could use a Thanksgiving meal provided to them, JSS Family Programs is taking reservations. You must register through Eventbrite for this uh, to be considered for a meal. There are only a, there are a limited number of meals this year, so make sure you register at JSS Turkey Drop 2018.eventbrite.com. I will have all the necessary contact information you need for this uh, for this turkey drop in the show notes. So make sure if you need a phone number or a link, go check the show notes and everything will be right there. Okay, so coming up on this podcast, we'll talk to Chief Master Sergeant Trish Almond. She is the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Adjutant General. That means she deals with all enlisted concerns for soldiers and airmen in our organization. Uh, we'll talk about her career leadership advice, and her emphasis on soldier and airman care, and how to be engaged with your subordinates in between drills. She has spent many years in the Western Air Defense sector and has tons of experience, so I look forward to bringing you our conversation. For this interview, it's important to note that I'll be joined with uh, joined by Sarah Morris, uh, who is a new addition to the Public Affairs Office, and uh, she will be a major contributor to the show from here on out. So big welcome to Sarah. Yes, we're happy to have Sarah with us. All right. That's later. That is coming up later on the show. But first, the big news. News. On Wednesday, October 3rd, General Doherty hosted his quarterly town hall at the PCRC. This is where everyone is invited to get an update about what's going on in the organization from the big boss himself. So his big update um, really has a had a lot to do with the fire season that we just got out of. He thanked everybody from in the State Operations Center and DNR and all the National Guard soldiers and airmen who were called up during the fire season. Yeah, uh, and, Joe, uh, can you give us a little bit about what the fire season was all about this year? Well, so for this fire season, uh, end of July, we got a uh, proclamation from the governor. Um, it was a little bit earlier than we normally expect one, but... Uh, it, it was very similar to years past. We've, we've always been, the uh, last few years, we've been asked to provide hand crews on the ground, air assets in the, in the sky, dropping water. Um, LNO is out there talking with DNR and the locals about what they need. We've had traffic control points, medical folks, really anything that's needed, we, we always kind of provide that support. 
the the thing is over the last really five years since 2013 and jason me and you have both covered this extensively is 3,000 guardsmen have gone out and they do wildfire support for anywhere from two weeks to three weeks to sometimes a month mm-hmm. um on top of that these guys are also holding down civilian jobs they're still actively engaged in their unit they still have a two-week at mm-hmm. and if they're a ground crew they're out there for four days before they even go on a fire to get red cards certified that's a lot of hours yeah a lot of um, t- a lot of a lot of time and if you're if you're a guardsman and you've done a wildfire season or you've done <clears throat> two or three of them now over the last five years uh and really four years um you know, pat yourself on the back and give yourself a lot of applause. That's a lot of work to do, and that's that's specific to the Guard. That's not anybody else's mission except the Washington National Guard here in our state. Yeah, it's no secret why General Doherty included this first and foremost in his thanks. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many people from our organization involved over not 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 just this year, but over the last several years. But but that being said, too, you know, it's the state EOC folks. We know our state audience is listening. Um, a lot of you guys are telling yeah. us, you know, you listen to the podcast, you really enjoyed it. Uh, they also need to give themselves a round of applause. Working in that state EOC really nonstop, you know, really 24-hour kind of cycles, mm-hmm. um, coordinating all this effort. That's a lot of work. Uh, thinking of OSO in 2014, they worked for 45 straight days. That that was at yeah. level, what was it, level three is the highest? or something like that, whatever the highest level they can mm-hmm. get. I can't remember exactly which level it is. But they were at 45 straight days at the highest level that EOC gets, where it's 100% manning. Yeah, That's that's tiring work, too. You know, They definitely uh, do a very good job there as well. So not only in our state are there disasters happening, like wildfires and mudslides, but over in other states, like we just had in North and South Carolina and the volcano eruption in Hawaii. Yep. So he also at the town hall thanked these individuals who volunteered to go across the country and to Hawaii to assist other EOCs with uh, with whatever that they can assist with. So uh, he, he sent a big shout out to uh, EMDs Jennifer Schall and Quinn Butler who mobilized to Hawaii and uh, EMDs Brian Turbush who went there as well. And uh, he also thanked Mark Stewart, who is on our communications team, who just re- recently returned from North Carolina. So, so he, th- he had a big round of applause for, for everybody involved there. His next kudos uh, went, out, went out to folk, three folks at the uh, Washington Youth Academy. Um, their outreach and admission specialist, Liz Bergman, uh, cadre team leader, Master Sergeant Michelle Raubach, and cadre supervisor, First Lieutenant Dwayne Johnson, no, not The Rock, but Dwayne Johnson, um, who all just recently celebrated 10 years at the Youth Academy. Now, these folks are like the OG Youth Academy yes. cadre and day one. employees, yes, since since before they started the class. So, And, and we've worked, I've worked with Liz for quite a while. Um, you know, her, her main objective is to go out to schools and it's to, it's to, talk about the youth academy and to find students that are are needing that that program really in their Mm -hmm. life and she does a fantastic job just across the state of washington um and then obviously you know from the m day side i know Dwayne johnson he was in my my uas unit that Mm -hmm. i commanded um he was one of our maintainers and uh 
So being a guardsman, but also working at the youth academy, his his passion for those kids is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. If you guys don't know what what the youth academy is, it is a program that is run and operated by the National Guard that gives an opportunity of uh, to 15 and 16 year olds uh, or 15 to 17 year olds, 15 to 17 year olds who are at risk of dropping out of high school or who are on the verge of mm-hmm. dropping out. Um, it gives them an opportunity to come to this academy where they will receive military-like life uh, with discipline and structure. And um, it basically just brings them in this environment where they don't have any distractions, you know, back on the block type kids that are, are bad influences, you know, gets them away from that environment and puts them in a safe, um, structured environment where they can take learning seriously. And and it actually gives them, they can earn up to eight credits that will apply to their high school transcripts. And it's not just like the book skills they learn, it's the life skills that they learn there. Um, I know we're still about a month out, but something to mention is they do a uh, mock interview day there and and i've been a part of it a few times i'm actually going back in november yeah this will be my, i'm gonna i volunteered and, to do it this year this is my yeah. first time doing this mock interview and, and it's fantastic um you sit down you know with three to six cadets kind of throughout the day depending if you do a half day or a full day and you interview them one-on-one as they're coming to you for a job interview essentially and you you critique them you tell them hey here's some things you did right here's some things i would adjust here's some things you can work on and they come with a resume, they come with references, and they come prepared for a, to get a job in some way, uh, even though they know it's not, you know, it's a mock interview. But it's it's great. You get to you get to work with them and talk to them. You share your stories with them. They share their story with you. It's it's a great kind of one on one, and in a good way. If you don't have enough time to just do a full, you know, day, a half day is great. And mm. I think they're always accepting volunteers to do it. So okay. So that was his, uh, so big shout out and congratulations to those three individuals who celebrated 10 years there. Also that we talked, uh, the general doctor talked about, um, was that national preparedness month was in September and he wanted it. He took a, a, a reminder to urge everybody to be two weeks ready. Uh, now Joe, what is, what does two weeks ready mean? So two weeks ready, uh, really just means are you prepared if a disaster happens to be self-sustainable for up to two weeks like um, with food and with food supplies. water supplies medicine yeah. um, batteries that kind of stuff you know that's uh that's like we've discussed before I think with Cascadia rising we kind of learned that you know three days three ways is not probably a yeah, that was, the old, that was the old the one. The old uh, thing that uh, there was a, the government pushed was a... Uh, yeah, it was ready.gov pushed. Yeah. Um, three days. Yeah. And to be three days ready. Yeah, we kind of learned two weeks is probably a closer and more <laughs> accurate number of if a disaster happens, there's a lot of infrastructure that's going to need to be looked at, you know, bridges, roadways, yeah. railways, airports even, you know, can we fly supplies in and out? How are people supposed to get there? So... Being prepared for up to two weeks before a, a first responder might be a better number, and that's that's kind of what we what two week ready is. Is preparing for those disasters and being ready. 
Um, so following up with that, on October 18th is the Great Washington Shakeout. You probably hear a, an ad or two in this in this program, uh, plug in the Great Washington Shakeout. But yeah, so on, on October 18th, the entire state is going to do a earthquake drill. And everybody's going to drop cover and hold on. And uh, yeah, he was really plugging that too during the town hall. 1018 at 1018. It's easy to remember. How novel. Super easy. <laughs> 1018. So yeah, 1018 in the morning on 1018. Okay. Uh, another reminder too, uh, this month is also employee survey month. Um, you should have gotten the email saying, hey, go to this link, fill out the employee survey. Uh, those those uh, surveys do get read. Uh, they get read by people in the communications and public affairs team. We provide that uh, feedback back up to General Doherty to see what changes need to be made. So it, it takes what? Not even five minutes at the most out of your oh, day. Yeah. Yeah. Just click the link. It's 27 questions. Most of them are multiple choice. There's one you know question at the end. If you have anything else, you can type in an answer. Uh, super easy you make sure you fill it out it does it does make a difference are there any instances where survey or survey results have actually led to changes within the organization um that you can think of or that you know of also part of like the pt one was a good example remember when we first went to the 410 schedule we had pt hours between 11 and 1 Mm -hmm. and a lot of people on that survey came back and said well we can't feasibly do pt between 11 and 1 so General Doherty took that into consideration and said, you know what, 11 to 1 is just a block of time. As a supervisor, you make that call on the ground. If your employees can't do PT from 11 to 1, but they can do PT from 3 to 4, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, be flexible. Also in the news is um, Thurston County Readiness Center. This is a new readiness center that's going to be built to take place of the Olympia Armory and Puyallup and Puyallup so yes yes, we are we are going to break ground on a new facility yep October 25th uh, 10 in the morning we're going to be breaking ground out in Tumwater Uh, it's right off the airport pretty close to I-5 which is nice too Um, and this is this is new because and it's big news story for us because it is a new readiness center. It's going to look a lot like the Pierce County Readiness Center, have a lot of the same features. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colonel Iwazik or Adam Iwazik, the CFMO, um, you know, will, if you ask him a question about it, he'll tell you all about it. He's, he's fantastic. He knows that building up and down, top and bottom already before it's even built. But uh, this, is, this is big news because it's getting an, a readiness center out into a community. Uh, the last few we've built have been JBLM, or Mm -hmm. Camp Murray, and this one's not on either of those two installations, which it's back in a community area, Mm -hmm. and and that's that's the guard, it's the community, and um, this is a big news story because that Olympia Armory is from 1930s, that Puyallup Armory is definitely outdated, it's a little smaller of an armory. You're gonna move those units out to Thurston County, into that readiness center, and those, those buildings, I believe, have already got tenants kind of looking at them for for future movement. I believe the Puyallup one is actually going to become a fire station. Oh, cool. uh, Which is really cool. That's a great great use of a National Guard armory. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you you always see refurbished National Guard armories for something like Ellensburg is a great example Mm -hmm. because they use that as the place where they they host a lot of events on the fairgrounds. So you see see the 
lots of different armories have different uses afterwards, which yeah. is nice. All right, that's the uh, the big news that's happened around the guard recently. And uh, coming up after this quick break, I will bring you Chief Master Sergeant Trish Almond. The Great Washington Shakeout, a statewide earthquake drill on October 18th. Participants will learn survival and preparedness tips and how to get two weeks ready. Register at shakeout.org Washington. Drop, cover, and hold on. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Well, first of all, thank you very much for coming on this show, this podcast that we got going on. Um, uh, when I was doing some thinking about your, you and your career, um, I just realized that the only thing I know about you historically is that you come from WADS, and that's about it. That's all I know. So if you would, could you give us a brief description of your career so far? Absolutely. So... Uh... In the spring of 1988, a really long time ago, uh, about two weeks before graduation from high school, I went and enlisted in the Air Force on a dare from my best friend. A uh, dare? I, yes. Uh, so surprised everybody. I was the, I'm going to college, I'm going to get my degree path, and uh, I totally just, yeah. Even when I enlisted, I didn't tell my parents until after I had done it because I knew they were trying to talk me out of it. Oh yeah, so, so crazy. <laughs> so October of uh, 1988, I left for basic training at Lackland Air Force Base. I went in what's called open general, so I did not have a specialty career field picked out. I ended up going into the command and control uh, career field where I was sent to Biloxi, Mississippi, to do some training and then down at Tyndall Air Force Base and then off to my first duty assignment, March Air Force Base, California, where I spent the, the first six years of my career. And at that point, that unit was actually closing and I, I was there. I was there. March was great. As a child. Oh, <laughs> not probably, old, probably <laughs> in 1988. <laughs> no, my mom was stationed at, that was her first uh, gig as a JAG. There you go. That's yeah. a great... But Great yeah, base, totally right different were, now. Right as they were closing, closing. down. Yep. yep. That's when I left. Is when That's March when we was left actually. too. We went to Kadena. Okay, so. hey, what a small world. Wow. See? Uh, so, I, I left March. I came up uh, to McCord at the, the time. It was its, its own base and got an assignment to the West Maryland Defense Sector when WADS was still an active duty unit. They were starting to talk about the transition. When I got here, somebody said, hey, do you want to join the Guard? And I looked at them, I was like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> so they explained to me the Guard and WADS was going into the AGR program. I was a single parent at the time. I said, so I can stay here 
and I can continue doing this job, which I loved my career field. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, all right, sign me up for this gig. There's, there's nothing better. So obviously navigated my, my way through WADS making um, Chief Master Sergeant. And then one day an email came up from the Adjutant General appointed me as the State Air National Guard Command Chief. Nobody had talked to me about it. I give him a really hard time about this all the time. Like, sir. Um, so after a couple uh, people jumping through some hoops, they finally got a hold of me and they were like, hey, this email's out. Uh, we just wanted to let you know that we selected you and hopefully you'll take the job. And I was like, well, I was going to retire, but okay. And what position is that? They, you said it was called the... So the State Air, Air National Guard Command Chief. Okay, so that's like the equivalent of... The State Command the State Sergeant Major. Sergeant Major, okay. Yep, so... I did that for a couple years, and then General Doherty asked me about taking over the senior enlisted leader position when I was thinking about <laughs> retiring again. Um, so I agreed to, to do it for three years, and now somehow I'm doing it for the fourth and final year. For the final year. Yes. And right. then you said your branch was? Command and Control. And what is that? So uh, the job at the Western Air Defense Sector, that uh, career field specialty, we work under NORAD NORTHCOM okay. doing the air defense mission. So I was an operator up on the floor okay. for a really long time. So you're in like the CAAC or the job floor, basically? Yes, something like okay. that, an operations center type yeah. environment. Yeah. As the senior enlisted leader, what are your um, responsibilities day to day? You know, I would like to say that I have a set of responsibilities and they never change, but they do. Um, but I will put everything back on soldier airman care and what programs are affecting soldiers and airmen potentially and, and navigating through those programs. I work a lot with our uh, joint support staff, JSS, uh, based on a lot of the programs that they're involved with because it goes back to that soldier airman care. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, what the Adjutant General needs me to do, I'm, I'm working on. I do a lot of work with uh, the State Command Sergeant Major and the State uh, Command Chief for the air side on how do we take things a little bit further and how do we continue developing our force. So we've implemented a couple courses in my time in the seat. Uh, the first is the peer-to-peer -peer course, which really... Um, we talk to soldiers and airmen about self-care and then how to navigate when one of their peers is having issues. And we take all ranks for that course, um, which is good because if I was an E2, if I'm going to have a problem, I'm going to go to an E2. I'm not going to go mm -hmm. to an E5 or E6. So that's been really beneficial. And then we do a joint professional development course as well, um, which is we've had some great success. In the past, it's been two days. We're actually pushing it to three days this year, and, and that's really developing um, our junior enlisted and our junior officers in a very joint environment so they can start building those connections at a much earlier point in their career so that and getting some experience with the other services. Is that that event that just happened this, <clears throat> within the last couple of weeks? That was or? the Army one. That was the Army one. Okay, yep. that was Army-specific? Yeah. Okay. Diversity and Inclusion Council, I co-chair that one, which we just really got that one up and running about six, seven months ago, so that's been an adventure. And we did that WMD-wide, so we have state and federal employees involved in that council, which, is, which has been really great. And then what's their purpose? So, 
you know, we all know what diversity is. For me, I really put a lot of emphasis on the inclusion part because it's easy to track numbers. And are you meeting, you know, the, the, the numbers of the culture that, that you're in and the communities that you're in? To me, the harder part is the inclusion of people. And I read this quote once that, um, you know, diversity is being asked to the dance. Inclusion is, a, is actually being asked to dance. Right. And uh, I kind of keep that in mind because a lot of times I think through, through our formations we discount people's uh, perspectives and their opinions on things because they may be junior members of the organization. So, you know, sometimes we just say, oh, what do they, what do they know? Well, they probably know a lot more than we do. And uh, so valuing other people's opinions and getting away from that group think <coughs> concept because it's easy to surround yourself with people who think just like you mm -hmm. and give you all the, hey, that's a great idea, but are you really doing an organization justice? And the answer is no. That's great. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, and it's hard to track too, so it's really... Interesting yes. to implement. Yeah. Yes. It's easy to track the right. numbers. Right. Obviously. But yeah, that part, how do you really know if you're succeeding or not? Right. But I think that's culture. When the, the culture around you becomes more willing to give opinions, that's when you know you're succeeding. You mentioned uh, that you, you run a peer-to-peer -peer program. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit and kind of tell us what they, what you guys talk about and what you guys... Absolutely. So this was actually a program that when I was still at the uh, Air Guard side only, we were getting ready to implement. And it had come to me um, from the 141st side, Marcia Richards, who is their, their DPH, and um, one of their chaplains came to me and said, hey, we really want to do this program. Um, they had brought some people in to train it at a really high price tag. And when I say high price tag, uh, you know, a little overboard. And I looked at the agenda and I said, why can't we do something with our own expertise within the Washington, at the time, Air National Guard, um, and put on the same kind of class? So we were getting ready to um, really do our first class when I got selected for this position. And one of the things I told the, the tag I wanted to do was make this a joint class and bring in some Army personnel to help facilitate the course and then get Army participants. And we've probably had, over the last three years, 250, 300 people go through the class. So once again, like I talked about earlier, we talk a lot about self-care. Self we hit a little bit on MRT. We hit a lot on how do you handle certain situations and run them through a two days of scenario-based um, discussions um, with some really great leaders within our organization from different ranks. Uh, what else do we talk about? We talk about self-care, we talk about suicide, we do a block on effective communication, we do a block, I actually kind of open it up with a, how do you get to know somebody? How do you sit down and have a conversation with somebody and be able to pick bits and pieces of their life from them in a 20-minute you know, time frame that you can use that information later on to continue conversations? Because I think one thing that we don't always do well at in formation is getting to know those people that are below us. 
and finding out what makes them, them click. And, and by knowing them, you know when something's wrong. Right, and just engaging them in general. Absolutely. And we don't do a really great job of that sometimes. I mean, it's easier. We got a mission. We, got, we have these requirements we have to do. Well, if you really sit down and you take the time and then you have those little short five-minute conversations, you know, spread apart during the month or picking up a phone or texting your subordinate and just say, hey, what would you think of that football game? I mean, that goes a long ways in establishing trust. Well, right, especially when you only see someone you know, one week in a month. Absolutely. And you're busy trying to take care of everything else. So it's a lot of that. I mean, we talk a lot about, hey, it's more than just those two days a month uh, as a leader. I mean, you you should be engaged. One thing that I think we miss in in the leadership aspect is how we honestly do influence those that are below us. And we can influence every day on a negative basis by how we present ourselves, how we treat people. So it kind of goes back to that inclusive culture, right, of everybody matters. And honestly, I would rather talk to an E4 than I would a 06. Because in the end, that E4 is going to be the leaders of this organization in 15, 20 years. Their voice matters. Their teaching them and talking with them about leadership is what's going to make them better leaders. I'm going to tell you, I had some pretty negative experiences when I first joined the military um, to the point where I I actually thought about doing my first enlistment and getting out because I had leaders within an organization that weren't very inclusive. Um, You know, I was a a female at a time where there wasn't a lot of females. I'm sure your mom kind of went through some of this where where there's not a lot of females, very low percentage, and then you know, my, my oldest daughter is biracial, and that actually caused some issues with the E9 that I had in my unit. And, you know, he probably joined the military in 1958. I wasn't even thought of at that, that time, and he was a very negative person. And it was during that, that moment when I said, okay, I'm going to stay in. I'm not going to be with him forever. You know, eventually I'll get out from underneath this told myself if I was ever in a position of leadership, I would never do to somebody what had occurred with, with me, that everybody mattered. I would never take somebody's opinion of somebody else. I would form my own opinion. Um, and that to, to be a good leader, you have to, to make good leaders. What do you say to the... <coughs> M-Day traditional um, service members in leadership positions who have full-time employment that really don't leave a whole lot of time in their day to, to interact. Well, first of all, I try to thank them for what they do because I can't imagine trying to balance the three entities, a civilian job, your military job, and your family on top of it. So I try to thank them. I try to really spend time getting to know them and what their thoughts are and the difficulties because it's really easy for me as an AGR to to just validate what they're going through. So it's asking a lot of questions of how does this affect you? When we implement something from a full-time force, because we're good at implementing things, how does it affect that MDR drill status guardsman? So it's a lot of that. 
I think actually, I'll use Chief Tedwell as a perfect example. He's the VP for Alaska Safety and Security for Alaska Airlines. He's got a ton of leadership experience. So it's making sure that we utilize that experience and this culture as well, and not thinking because we're, we're full-time and we've grown up surrounded by this that we know it all. Kind of goes back to that inclusion thing of making sure everybody's included. Well, I think too, when you talk to the traditional M-Day soldiers and airmen who have incredible civilian lives and jobs, um, it brings such a different and unique opportunity to the Guard yes. uh, because of their experiences. And, and when you get that inclusiveness, your unit actually, the climate changes and you become unstoppable, basically. Absolutely. And a lot of the, the MD and drill status guardsmen, they bring in the perspective from their career fields into a career field here in the Guard. I mean, who, who better? Yeah. I mean, right. sometimes we're behind the times. They have the most recent relevant information. So utilize it. So coming in in 1988, uh, you, you've probably seen a lot of technology changes over the years and communication devices that have exponentially come. Yeah, like the cell phone higher, thing. Higher, higher, exactly. <laughs> um, how do you how did you how do you view the the communication between full time and and um, traditional back then as opposed to nowadays? So to be honest with you, I can't really talk about it from a back then perspective because I was full time. Um, and WADS had a very limited drill status guardsman pool. But when I made um, chief over there, that's when I realized that we weren't always communicating with our drill status guardsmen the way that we should. We expect them to get through 600 emails a month that are sent out. Um, so we, we, the, our expectation as full-timers is, well, they should know it. We, we send it out on email. Well, that's a wrong expectation. And I honestly think sometimes that social media, email, has done a disservice to our communication within our units. And one of the things that when I was over at WADS we implemented was actually a read file for our drill staff guardsmen of the important things. So out of 600 emails that might be sent out, there's 10 that are really, really important and paramount for them to know. So we either, hey, take a look at these, or we talk about it in commander's calls, opening comments. So I think technology has sometimes just destroyed us. I mean, our expectation is, well, it's on social media. It's on the, the Washington Military, Military Department uh, Facebook page. Everybody should know that. Well, not everybody's on social media. Not everybody wants to be on social media. Mm -hmm. So we, um, as leaders within the organization at every level, need to understand um, that perspective. I think one of the other things that we have done a disservice on is we automatically assume that younger soldiers and airmen want to be communicated with via text messaging. And I will tell you, when I am out in the field, I ask that question, and that's not usually the answer I get. The answer I get back is, we want to be talked to face-to-face. -to -face. Because a lot of them join the Guard because they're looking for that, that team and that sense of family, and we're not giving it to them through a text message. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> No, no, good information. <laughs> so, 
you've gone through like what two previous almost retirements in mm -hmm. the past. Yes. Now you're coming up on your actual retirement, third and final <laughs> yes, retirement. I, I am, yes, I'm going. What's going through your mind? Um, so I'm getting to the point that I realize I need to take care of myself and set some things up for yeah. myself as far as like medical, making sure all that information is documented. 30 years, a lot of things happen in 30 years. So that's going through my mind. A little uncertainty from a standpoint of, you know, four years ago, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Well, in that four years, that, that thought has changed a little bit. So trying to define what that next chapter of my life looks like. I have a master's degree in HR. I'm not really sure I want to go do the HR thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's some of that. It's some soul searching time for sure. Um, but it'll be great. You got any plans yet, uh, as of yet? Uh, well, so my, my biggest plan is my youngest daughter will be a senior in high school. I would actually like to be able to be a parent who can make some events um, because those, uh, those three, my three, three daughters have definitely sacrificed, sacrificed the most for me to be where I am. And I try to shelter them from a lot of this so they don't always have a, a clear understanding of what it is I do. But without their support, this, this wouldn't have happened. So what else would I, I want people to know? Yeah, just to, to communicate to our, our service members. So when I came advice. into this position, I kind of had three areas um, with a little acronym ICE that um, I talked about actually at my change of responsibility ceremony. And the first is I stands for inclusion because, you know, as we've talked about previously during this podcast, is everybody has a piece to our success. It doesn't matter if they're in finance or they're flying an aircraft. Um, everybody has an instrumental part. Sometimes some of the more support AFSCs or MOSs, we don't give enough credit to, but I can tell you I love the pay guys because they make sure I get paid. <laughs> Without finance, I'm not going to be able to concentrate on what my job is. So it's making sure that, you know, once again, everybody has a voice. Everybody is a valued member of this team. Nobody has a higher value than somebody else. The second one was the C was for comfort zone. Um, we often get in our little niches and we like being PAO guys and maybe not go out and, and look for other opportunities. I will tell you, I would not be where I am today if I wouldn't have had um, one of the prior directors of the joint staff, General Groover, uh, kind of came back to WADS and pulled me into the Joint Operations Center as his senior enlisted leader. And I did that for about 18 months before I selected for the Air Guard Command Chief position. And it was totally out of my realm. I walked into a world of Army. And I honestly was like, how do you even spell army? Mm -hmm. And now I'm surrounded by them. Um, but it was joint is spelled A-R-M-Y. Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, and I will probably get into some political <laughs> nightmare there. So um, we'll just kind of divert that back. So 
but that was a great opportunity for me in a very small environment to start learning the Army. I learned how to write NCOERs and, um, you know, how their M MTOs worked. And I mean, there was a lot of different stuff, the different perspectives, because my leadership style was very different than an Army leader's leadership style. So it was learning that. and. So I know if it wasn't for that, that position, I wouldn't be where I am today. So definitely get out of your comfort zone. If somebody comes to you and they say, hey, we want you to go do this, I mean, really, really think about this. They're not setting you up for failure. They're setting you up for success because they know you have the capability of doing it. So just have faith and confidence in yourself and you'll be fine. Always a learning curve. Learning curves are okay. Um, and then the E for out of ice was for excellence. Because if, I've always been a firm believer, if you're gonna do something, do it to your utmost ability. And that will help in mission success. That helps in your own personal and professional success. If you just kind of keep that in mind of, if I'm gonna do something, then it's worth me giving it 100%. Well, I think that's it. And Perfect. we, uh... This is a success so far, so. <laughs> well, we'll see how successful it is when you're done. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. Awesome. Yeah, as long as you just keep doing these. Yes. Keep putting them out. I think yeah. it'll grow just like Yeah, and I mean, I would. There was like 60 hits yesterday. Really? On the yeah. podcast, yeah. Nice. When I checked it yesterday. Very cool. Yeah. Two of those were mine. Um, one was my mom and she gave us a five-star rating <laughs> there you go I actually had issues bringing up the link on my phone it doesn't work yeah. for divots you have to use your whatever computer podcast yeah. you can also look it up in phone. any podcast system okay. on your phone okay. it just the divots link for for the phone whatever reason so what made you guys come up with this idea well jason came up with it I've, I've yeah i've been thinking about it for a long time um i'm for the last couple of years i've just been an avid podcast listener you know i don't i don't listen to radio anymore i don't listen to music in my car even though i do have a music app that i you know i use to listen to when i work out and that's about mm -hmm. it um and i just thought that there's so much stuff that goes on that this could be a nice, you know, with we come out with the Evergreen magazine every quarter, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of stories in there. There's a lot of things that go on. So why not take that content and turn it into something more audible that you know that's popular that people can listen to, you know, in their in their car in their spare time, and it's just basically a form of a, an audio form of the Evergreen magazine, except more conversational. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, too, it, it gives <clears throat> us the chance to feature things that won't necessarily make it into the magazine, stuff that's not visually stimulating. Right, exactly. Like stuff like election security, right? I mean, we could probably, it's, it's very important. Yes. And probably do a special feature in that. Yes, we will. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> that's cool. Um, so do you have your list of topics mm -hmm. that you want? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got a few. And then when I so started, far. Jason was talking about it, and I was like, I also love podcasts. I listen to them when I run. So, uh, and my favorite kind are the conversation style. Yeah. Um, I find them engaging and nice, especially when you're running alone to listen to, have, feel like someone's talking to you, and hmm. sort of take you out of your own head. And uh, yeah. And so 
he asked me to help and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I also made the graphic. Yeah, she did. The, the raptor? The raven. The, or the raven? The, yeah. Why do I keep saying raptor? Kind of like I keep saying Shana. <laughs> I mean, a raptor is a kind of bird, so, yeah, so you're not off. Yes. <laughs> raven. The, but yeah, well, the raven conversations and, graphic. And, and so I was excited because that was my first thing that I did, did as a part of the team. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. I think it, it perfectly encapsulates, you know, the Washington State. Well, the reason why we chose yeah. raven, people might think, oh, it's the, it's the Army's patch, right? And it's going to be Army-specific. And the reason why we picked it is because the raven was a symbol that was on George Washington's family crest. So, Which is why we took it out of so the patch. That encompasses like yeah, Washington. And then made so. it into the thing. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And then we just put a microphone. Yes. <laughs> like the bird is but screaming bird into a microphone. the bird does look like he's screaming into the microphone. <laughs> which, yeah, you know, it's perfect. I it's think perfect. It's perfect. The only thing that would have been better is if we named it Ranton and Raven. <laughs> hey. No, we're gonna we're trying to figure out how we can do a a Ranton and Raven uh, spot. S segment. Spot. Yeah, segment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I know there's things that people would really like to rant about. Oh, I know, but we also need to rave. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Always give recognition. Always give recognition. So I think that that would be a, a good way to do it. Yeah, recognition and and maybe some some rants with with solutions available mm -hmm. to yes. those rants because you never want to give a problem without a solution. Right on. Leadership tip number two. Leadership tip number two. <laughs> Including has Inclu to be one. <laughs> yeah, I think inclusion probably is number one. Yeah. And, and then always, if you're, if you're going to give me a problem, give me a solution. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Chief Almond, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, we wish you best of luck in your future endeavors in retirement and all other things. So. Which is until 1 December next year, so let's oh, not so freak everybody out. Still got a year. Yes. Got a full year. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. About Plus. 10 months. Because <laughs> it's terminal leave. Right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much. And Bye-bye. Just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, second podcast so far. We've gotten yeah. a lot of positive uh, feedback from yeah. you, the listeners. Uh, make sure that uh, if you don't hear a story here, you don't see it here, Make sure you check us out on Facebook or Twitter or on uh, Instagram. Yep. And the website is always a good spot, mill.wa.gov. Um, that's probably, if, if you don't see a story here, it's probably on there. Mm -hmm. uh, we always try to cover everything. We don't get to everything though. We'd love to know more about what you guys are doing. So. Yeah, so if you have any ideas that you want to pitch to us, send us an email. It's, uh, my, my email is in the show notes. Um, I'm more than happy to, to talk with you about doing uh, collaborating on some on some story ideas so we all we love to get your story out there so well thank you very much and we'll see thank you me. next time <laughs> <laughs>